Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. This is episode 96. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis, sitting in the captain's chair. Oh, I'm sitting in the captain's chair. You have the con. I have the con, yes, because we're talking about the greatest of captains. Uh, Certainly my hero, and I know it's your all's too, James Tiberius Kirk. Yes. Uh, trivia question right off the bat. When did that first name, his middle name, ever, did it make it on screen? Do you know? Uh, yes, it did. I know you know. It was an uh, animated episode. Yes, that's yes yeah, it was not until the animated series. When that's they, right. It uh, wasn't he, live action correct. until the Chris Pine version, I think. No, Star Trek Six. Was it there? At the okay. trial. Oh, yes, the trial. That's yes, right. Yes. He mentions it. That's correct. That's uh, James Tiberius Kirk. Yes, the episode on the animated series was Bem. It was a rather forgettable episode, except for that, actually. Nevertheless, he's our hero. James. It's not a heroes, but it's, it's, but it's not a heroes episode. No. It's, it's, a, pop, it's a pop, it's pop culture. culture. So we're talking the pop culture phenom that is James Tiberius That's right, Kirk. Because he's bigger than just... I mean, he is a hero, yes, of course. He's billed that way. He's built that way. It's the... Uh, He's written that He's way. He's the prototypical hero figure. He really is. Yes. Based on uh, Horatio Hornblower from the from the uh, TV series, uh, Forster's books, uh, the naval hero in the Napoleonic Wars. That's the one that uh, he was created after. Gene Roddenberry very clearly said that. That was who he was meant to be modeled on. He's the man's man, the, mm-hmm. the, the bigger-than-life character, the adventurer. Yeah. Uh, the sci-fi books that I like by David Weber, the Honor Harrington series. Mm-hmm. She is a female Kirk. Better, in my opinion, as a character. Yeah. More fleshed out and all that. But books have a way of doing that. But also that same type of character. Right, yes. He's, it's an archetype. Very it much really so. Is. And uh, in many respects, he set the standard for a lot that came after when it came to that archetype. Yeah. I mean, there was he certainly wasn't the first to do this, but wow. He has, in, he has invaded our our collective culture since his creation like very few other characters yeah. had. I mean, my God, he's been around for what, you know, almost, you know, 50 plus years, years. 55 years. 55 right. this year. Later this year. Right. Uh, September 8th, 1966, to be exact. Yeah, no, right. actually, it was 55, but <coughs> 56 later this year. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, because uh, my birth, I'll turn, I'll no, turn 50, I turned 50, I turned 56 uh, just a few, uh, a few days after Star yes, Trek. So, yes, 56, 56 was the same age. Essentially, uh, which was really kind of cool. I remember the series. And you were conceived about the same time they were filming Isn't the original uh, pilot. It's not something I think too much on, of course. But yes, uh, <laughs> nevertheless, but it, it's a it's an archetype. It's a character that's so enduring that it even withstands parody. Very much so. because Galaxy yes. Quest is basically yeah a parody of Star Trek. But you know what? The amazing thing but it is, works so well. That movie works well on its own. Yeah. And it's poking fun at both the Star Trek phenomenon, the fans, and the actors, but it's a damn good movie. It is a, just a super fun, crazy movie. and But it wouldn't exist. Uh, Alan Rickman, of course, oh, and yeah. Tim Allen. Sigourney and, Weaver. Yeah. yeah. They're oh, all phenomenal. Uh, so great. Uh, uh, but, you know, Hans Gruber to... The yeah. Doctor Lazarus, yeah, yeah. It, but My it's Krathar's hammer. <laughs> I shall avenge you. Well, yes, I'm, I'm glad you did that because I cannot do justice to that. You did a very good job. Yeah. With that. But it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's such an archetypal character that it withstands well, that. It's not only spawns it, but then it's well, not only it was a, a a loving parody that worked, right? Well, and not only that, but now the Orville. Yeah, the Orville is, is some of the best Trek I have ever seen. It is. It is very good. Seth Rogen deserves a lot of credit. I mean, for it's doing done it well. comedically. Not Rogen, no Seth McFarlane. Excuse Farland, me, yeah. no, McFarlane. No, 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 no. We're yeah. not talking about Seth Rogen. We're talking but, about Seth uh, McFarlane. I mean, it's done with some comedic bits, but it's also serious. Yeah. A dramedy is what I've heard it called. Yeah. Yes. And it really is some of the best Trek I've ever seen. It does Trek as well as Trek. Very easily. much so. Yes, it's uh, it's an it started kind of as an homage, kind of as a parody, but it's but I think it's found its feet. I, think I really hope they really, continue it. Well, McFarland, I think, kind of figured out. I want to get this out there first, and then I'll do what I want if I can get to. And he did because it was yeah. popular enough. Because he really wanted to continue on to do more Next Generation, more Star Trek. Right, uh, and, and and it is. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, the. Uh, just show you how good it is. So, you know, one of our favorite... Uh, and again, this is all because Trek is what it is, because with Kirk, um, it has made it all possible. 
some of our best TNG favorite episodes, mm-hmm. Borg episodes. Yeah. Best of both worlds is you know the Still gold one of standard. the standards. Yes. Mm-hmm. So in the Orville, there is a battle with this uh, race of androids. Uh, and it is better than any Borg battle episode I have ever seen. I mean, it's just so damn good. Uh, but again, you it is so good because we've seen how good Trek was. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, this is just as good, if not better. Yeah. They've learned, of yeah. course, from the mistakes. Because sometimes, when, even when you're, comp- when you're building or standing on the sh- shoulders of others, if you do it well, it's taken well. You know, mm-hmm. and they did it well the first time with Trek. So there's that's the gold standard. And you've got that to compare it against. And that's true with so much of sci-fi. And we've mm-hmm. spent, yeah. you know, 40 years analyzing uh, some of this stuff uh, to enormous depths. I mean, my gosh, just uh, uh, from who knows what, all those little aspects, it's all been laid bare. And one of the reasons, I think there are many reasons that Star Trek succeeds, but a lot of it was... James Kirk. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot that goes into uh, the whole thing. Uh, you know, culturally, what's going on at the time is you're still getting ready for the moonshots. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, this would have been a uh, time of Gemini when it first appeared. Right. In fact, uh, in the second season, uh, Assignment Earth, they they go back ar- around that. They actually yeah. build a story around that in current times. And so, you know, space was still very much on everybody's mind. That's why. It, but yep. also so was Westerns. Because that's how it was first built was the wagon, wagon train, train to the stars, stars. Yeah. which was Just, a, which was a camouflage and a conceit that Roddenberry had because he had no intention of actually doing that. But in a way, he kind of did. Yeah. You know, the good good guys versus bad guys kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he did an action story in outer space. Yeah, right. So in that respect, sure. Uh, but the key is the characters, and the key really. It all it comes down to Kirk first. The captain yes. is the most important. It's character. the character that has to work. For any of the rest of it to matter, right? And and the character worked. Um, again, a, a tribute to the source material of Forrester and and Hornblower, but also credit to the Trek writers and right. to Roddenberry mm-hmm. and right. Shatner too, because yeah. he sold it well. Yeah, yeah. but the material you can take bad material and make it passable with a good actor. That's right, and he and he. Uh, but you can also that. take good material and destroy it with a bad actor. Yeah, so. But it was good material. I mean, it was Janelle Kuhn. Oh, uh, yes. DC Fontana. Fontana. Yeah, we can't talk enough about Janelle Kuhn. I mean, he, so many of the things that made that series work so well was him. Yeah. Uh, he does, because he died early in the early 70s, he doesn't get the credit, uh, right. except for those of us who study such things, that he really should. I mean, he created the Klingons, the whole thing, straight out of, yeah. straight out of the box. Uh, everything yeah. that came after was building on what he wrote. Uh and there were some stinkers. Oh yes, we all know the stinkers, and there's no need to, to don't need to mention them again. Pummel that expired equine, but yeah, we've already mentioned um, that. recently. But even, the, even <laughs> let that be your last battlefield. <coughs> yeah, that one, <laughs> among others. We didn't mention that one recently, although we have certainly hit that one pretty hard um, over time. But even so, I think uh, part of that is even the stinkers like that one. That's Trek trying to 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 give a positive message. Hmm? on a very controversial issue. So, you know, in the attempt, I can applaud. The execution sucks. Yeah, It's just well, so in your face. Third season lost a lot of, a lot of yeah. budget, so things didn't go as well as perhaps they might have. Right. There's... But, you know, it, the fact that you had a captain that was uh, uh, such a great character, he's got a good backstory. Uh, granted, we don't find this out in the TV series. Not much. No. Uh, you know, we do know he has a brother and a nephew. Uh-huh. Uh, we don't find out that he's from Iowa until the fourth Star Trek movie. Correct. It had been written in many novels in the seventies, right? And they kind of eventually uh, made uh, the, the the town in Iowa. And I'm not sure how this happened, but that I, one town, Riverside, Riverside. It wrote because it had been written about as Kirk being from Iowa in these books. The Riverside Iowa folks wrote to Roddenberry and Paramount saying, "Let us be the town," and they said, "That's brilliant." And they said, "Yes." And there's a plaque you can go to Riverside Iowa today, and it's got it in there. Road trip. Right, uh, that might be worth the trip, gentlemen. It's right, future birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk, and it gives his birthday, which has been established by this point, and. Uh, that's just the uh, way it is, and it took them a while hey, to actually put it on film. Whatever, whatever helps the town brought, bring in a couple of bucks. Exactly. That sounds cool. Well, I mean, Metropolis, Illinois is famous for their Superman Museum because it's the name of where Superman was at. They've right. got quite a big business. It's a nice place, actually. Yeah. So, you know, 
Kirk, by today's standards, that kind of character is going to be hard to get on television. Yeah, because uh, he's you know he's a bit of a womanizer. A bit. He's the standard for womanizers in many ways. I was trying to be, you know. Yes, definitely. Well, that was, but that was part of the character. Yeah, he's a horn dog. He's a horn dog, and even green chicks. Oh, sometimes especially green chicks. (laughs) Yes, Uh, and you know they actually kind of made almost a parody of that in the uh, first uh, uh, Chris Pine. uh, yeah. TV, I mean, oh yes, movie uh, that you know he's that's what he's got. He's he's got him a green chick, an Orion girl. Uh, yeah, there with him, uh, which is well, we presume she's Orion. Well, yeah, I mean it's a presumption. Yeah, yeah, but you know the character that he's got a lot of great qualities. Uh, he's a he is above all a decent man. Yes, a very moral man. Yeah, that's... I mean for all the sleeping around, you know that aside. I mean, yeah, we recognize that's not moral, but. As far as the, the the principles that most people look up to, mm-hmm. he upholds them yeah. very much so, and he and he pontificates about them too. Of course, that's the writing, but that's part of it. He, but that's the Shatner delivers to... it and makes it real. Oh, you betcha! I mean, one of the reasons that and we talked about this in one of the earlier episodes, uh, Shatner basically talks the computers to death. That's how he wins sometimes. You know, Kirk basically, and uh, we can give you what three examples right off the bat where he does that, and he preaches so well so morally uh, about what he's doing and it's all about that human condition that's Roddenberry trying to put that out there saying you know no being human is means this it means that we're not subservient to technology Landrew things like that and that's that's one of the odd ones that doesn't come up it shouldn't happen but it does he basically talks it to death uh, I, I I've like, forgotten about that one yeah uh, uh, the one where he talks to uh, the M5 and the ultimate computer which we talked about a couple episodes that was actually well done yeah, uh, it, because they had written it well that it established that the computer was influenceable and he was able to take what had already been laid down in the story and play it forward. That was not bad. It was it was well done. Uh, I'll have to give you probably my favorite one that a lot of folks still cringe at. It's in the episode The Omega Glory when he basically recites the preamble of the Constitution at uh, at the beginning with the Yangs and the Combs. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's well done. It's amazing. Yes, is he on his high horse and soapbox? Yes, but we still love it. Well, you know, for guys like us, the the patriotism in that is that's that's strong. Yeah. You know? Uh, patriotism sometimes seems as if it's a bit passe, or at least the flavor that we grew up with. I mean, it is it is a, a full steaming hot shot of it right there. Yeah, uh, it's a, an espresso patriotism. Yeah. that's given and that he delivers. That it's just so they must mean they must apply to everyone, or they mean nothing. Do you understand? I mean, come on, that's that's great stuff, and he's right. Too. He's right. Yes. I mean, yeah. <coughs> the character is is written by multiple people, but. Shatner does really, he really, he makes it work. He knits it all together seamlessly. Uh, and you, you, you can never tell that uh, it's written written differently by different people because... He, well, Shatner makes it work. Yeah. Shatner makes it work. Exactly. Well, you know, part of that is if you have good enough writers, they'll, early on, they'll figure out what the character's voice is. Uh-huh. And they can a good writer will be able to to, to share that voice with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's usually a production thing. Is okay. You got to keep this consistent, guys. Well, and Shatner and Emoy have both said in later years that the actors are often the keepers of the character, and they themselves yes. would often be the ones that would object. Well, it doesn't quite sound right to do this. Yeah, and that's that, not what Kirk would do. Yeah, and they would, and and usually they were listened to. Uh, and they would make things change. Uh, in fact, there was uh, one they talked about, uh, Nimoy talks about, uh, is the naked time in the first season where they had written, uh, John D.F. Black was the writer, he had written a scene that was kind of silly where Spock was going to get a, was going to have a, uh, a the, the guy running around with a paintbrush was going to come up to him and paint a mustache on his face and Spock was going to wail. And Nimoy says, no, that's not, that's, that's, that's slapstick. That's not what we need here. And he went to Roddenberry, and Roddenberry had the damn thing changed. Uh, and Chatter has been known to do that as well, to kind of keep that consistency. Yeah. Uh, most good actors and writers and stuff like that, they should know mm-hmm. yeah. what's consistent and what's not. And that's a little early for that kind of um, uh, partnership in, in oh, yeah. TV writing to work. Oh, yeah. Because and back Nim- then it was, here's your script, just do it. Well, yeah, Nimoy was very clear that he was... Uh, because Black didn't like it. He said, all right, Daddy says i got to listen to you. Fortunately, Roddenberry had enough control at that time to say, no, I'm going to decide what the image we're putting out here is. Yeah. Yeah. 
But, you know, again, why is Kirk the cultural icon? Part of it's just the success. You know, all of us nerds wouldn't let him die. Yeah. Well, that's very and, true. Yeah. You know, because we saw... Granted, now, it's not us because, you know, we really, as youngsters, we had no influence over Trek living other than, you know, taking, getting our parents to take us to the movies once they finally came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, we weren't part of the ones that were doing the letter writing campaign for no, uh, to get small. The, the space shuttle named the Enterprise. No. Uh, but we were watching the heck out of it, oh, though. Yes, we reruns. were. It's right. Watching uh, it over and over again. You know, my, uh, yeah, you know, I remember as a kid, um, playing Star Trek and, you know, drawing on, on notebooks, you know, control panel. Uh, oh, absolutely. We like would, that. I would do the same thing uh, at um, home as well. I got in trouble once for taking a white shirt, I think it was, and drawing the, the, the stripes for the, the rank insignia. <laughs> we, we, we had some old shirts that were color. One was gold and one was blue and one was a lighter blue and I gave my two sisters the others and of course I'm the captain of course of course and it was actually pretty darn cool we were able to come up with whatever we would do and uh, it was it was really fun yeah and I think the reason that he's enduring is just that he was the kind of character you could aspire to be and that's important you know we talk about he's, he's the hero not just because he always won because he was ready to win. He was heroic. Yeah, he was heroic. And that was that was worth aspiring to. Yeah. Uh, he, he always had the plan, like we talked about mm-hmm. in the quotes episode. There's a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there, you know, there's a reason there are possibilities, because I've already planned them all out. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an interesting line in the first pilot uh, that Gary Mitchell talks to Kirk and the characters. Second pilot. The second pilot, yes, right, the... Uh, uh, Gary Mitchell talks about Kirk as being the stack of books with legs at the Academy. The character was still a little embryonic at the time, but it really lays out one of those areas about Kirk. He is amazingly knowledgeable. He is a brainy guy. He yep. understands theory. He understands uh, literature. He understands and much science. Much consternation, he does understand logic. Very much so. And that's why he's able to work with it so well. Because Kirk is, I mean, he is extreme. But he follows his gut, too. When he that's correct, to. yeah. And he, and he recognizes the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, you know, when you look at uh, why he's somebody to aspire to, is that, one is that confidence we've talked about, you know. Yeah. And, and the kind of person you wish you were. Because as a character as he's written, he's written as somebody who's confident, mm-hmm. uh, does well with the ladies. So that speaks to a lot of those geeks in their in their <laughs> mom's basement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he's successful by any any measurement. I mean, he's the captain of a starship. Mm-hmm. At 31, 32, 30, he was thirty four in the second season because he made okay, his age right, yeah, uh, yeah. in the deadly years. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, you think about it, that's kind of young. That's like being a colonel in the in the army or the air force. That's a high ranking position to be in your early thirties. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, captain of an aircraft carrier, and that yeah, or in this case, it would be a heavy cruiser. That's correct. Yeah, yeah literally, <laughs> literally, exactly. Yes, yes. Uh, but still, that's a capital ship. Is the point? Yeah, it's it's a big deal, and you're doing that, you know, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, you know, it's a time when, he, in the show, when they are out exploring. You know, as a kid, who doesn't love exploring? Yeah. Right? So and, and I think as adults, I think we retain a lot of those things. You know that you know that we loved as kids. Uh, I like exploring still. You know, I don't mind going off and you know driving somewhere just to see what's there. Now, granted. Uh, nowadays, that takes a little bit more uh, importance, just because sometimes you just got to get out of the damn house, and that's a good way to do it. <laughs> but you know, the exploring, uh, being confident—he's—he's—he's you know, he's, he's a winner. You know, nobody likes losers. Nobody right. likes a winner. Uh, well, mostly politics aside, losers always winning about their best. That's right. Pro- careful. Yeah, yeah, careful, careful, careful now. Careful, careful now. We, we know. We winners know. go home. Don't say it. Stup. That's right. Stup. 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 The, the prom, prom queen. queen. I married the prom queen, yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, you know, and he wasn't an autocrat. Kirk is not an autocrat. He he actually, if you look at the way he ran his ship, uh, yeah, once the decision was made, then everybody's expected to do what they need to do. But he had a team of advisors in uh, McCoy and Spock. And he listened to them. Although one of the great quotes that I saw when we were doing the research for the the 
Code of Honor episode was, you know, the great thing about cap- being captain is that I don't have to actually listen to, or to use any of the advice that people give me. Yeah. Uh, right. Give or take a little. Yeah. Uh, which is very true. You know, you can strike out on your own. But, but it's, it's he a, did. Yeah. It's a it's a prominent part of the first film. And again, we understand the, the criticism of the first film not being an action film. But when Decker confronts him about, you don't know this ship. He he realizes okay I can't bulldoze Decker Decker's right yeah. I got to listen to it yeah and there's actually that line when Decker's trying to correct him and he, he correct Kirk and Kirk's about to just give it to him he's like you're right yeah exactly which you, is which you is great. acted correctly you saved the ship that's exactly yeah. right and that and was, uh, that was, was a great well bit. written and well portrayed by Shatner on that because it's it shows that you know Kirk is he's the captain for all the right reasons he is. Uh, in many ways, he's a Captain America type figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's the guy that uh, is willing to do whatever it takes to win, and not just you know win for selfish uh, reasons or for glory, but for what's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see so. him defend uh, the defenseless. Yeah, uh, you know, he is not somebody who's going to run from a fight uh, unless it makes sense to run from the fight. And he'll make the hard choices too. And he will make the hard choice. Oh, I mean, you remember that? Uh, remember the one of the ones that. If you, if you study this very much, you kind of go back to the episode of Taste of Armageddon where he orders basically the destruction of the planet of Meteor 7 uh, unless they release their hostages. And, you know, the end of the episode talks about, well, did you really want to do that? He said, you're taking an awful chance. He goes, no, I knew they'd come through. I knew that the actual war would scare these people more than uh, than anything else. Yeah. And Right, yeah. And so it was, you know, he justifies it. Uh, it's a bit of a prime directive violation. Well, he's been known to do that more than a few times. Yes, That's right. Uh, prime directive and temporal directive, temporal prime directive violations. That's yes, he's done uh, more than a few. Which times. is again, he's not. He doesn't. Again, this is one of those things that, as Americans, we like the maverick in him because mm-hmm. while he respects the rules, he's willing to bend them. Yeah, uh, if he needs when to. necessary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, to me the the central thing with Kirk. Uh, at least of the films anyway, the very center that all of it revolves around is the end of uh, Star Trek III. He says, they've blown up the Enterprise. Yeah. He says, my God, Bones, what have I done? And Bones tells him the same thing you always do. Yeah. You've given us a chance. That's right. Yep. Turn death into a fighting chance, chance to live. Yeah. You've given us a chance. The same thing you always do, Jim. Yeah. yeah. That, that was very, very Kirk and McCoy. That yeah. was not Shatner and Kelly. Because right. sometimes that comes through in those later movies. You can see them, they've kind of, it's them. <laughs> uh, not to disparage the acting, because it was really, really good, but the, the, the way it was written, that was so Kirk. Yeah, that was, that was very yeah, Kirk. We've seen many times he's been willing to blow up the Enterprise, but apparently he never thought he'd ever have to go through with it. Right. But this time he did. But why did he do it? For Spock. Mm-hmm. He did because it for his friend. Because the needs of the friend. one outweighed the needs of the many. Point which was, few. of course, a, yeah, that's right, which was a brilliant way of bringing that all back around. I mean, I love Star Trek three more and more. Uh, it was not the most successful, but it was... It was, it was an odd-numbered movie, that's why. That's, yeah, but it was... Uh, well, but it, you know, it did well. I mean, Christopher Lloyd as oh, a clean... Absolutely, oh. yes. Yeah, it's amazing. so I was like, wow, okay, Reverend Jim from Taxi, but like, he's very he, menacing. He sells it and nails it. Man, he, he does so good. If you fool, we'll both be destroyed. Yes, exhilarating, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then Kirk, you know, kicking him in the face. I have had enough, enough of you. you know, which is it's an amazing <laughs> personal action moment. Kirk did yeah. that all the time in the original series, but you don't see much of that in the movies until yeah, that moment. An actual, yeah, an actual bare knuckles fight scene, which type was thing. really awesome to yeah. to see them yeah. do that. I, but I, I mean, was, that that's that's part of the the western. In yeah. space, kind of thing it was always the bar fight, or you know, you got yeah, to head come down to knuckles, right? Which I, well, I, and then of course you know the the trope of Kirk always getting his uniform cut or ripped open, yeah. you know. and the bleeding in the mouth, yeah, bleeding he, in the corner of the mouth. He did yeah. that too. There, it was it was kind of um, they, they laid that out there so so very well. They originally in Star, in Wrath of Khan they wanted to have a scene where Khan and Kirk would would have fisticuffs with each other, but they did that already. Yeah, well, that's in the original that's, right. that's why they didn't do it. That's one of the reasons they said, well, you know, yeah, I get it, but no, we're not going to do that. 
Uh, so they can have a wise choice. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, if you do that, you, you, there's no space battle at the end. Exactly. There's no reason for the in narratively to put them together, except yeah. over a view screen, which uh, actually works out very, very well. Yeah. Uh, there, but Kirk was an amazing, uh, you know, action man, man of action. I love that term about him. Yeah. I mean, you all yeah. know. Uh, he's doing more than a few stunts in many, many of those original. And he episodes. has a stunt double because you can see when it ha- whenever there's an you close up and all of a sudden it pulls back. Yeah, and he does something wild. That's when there's a stunt double. Exactly. Well, I mean the the fight you're talking about with him and Khan. Yeah, you know you can there's see there's a lot of that in there. It's, those are two stunt doubles. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Mr. Kyle was one of his stunt doubles. Uh, yes, he was. John Winston, uh, yes. who recently passed away. Actually, oh, yes. Yes. Uh, sorry to hear that. He had done some of that. Um, Eddie Paskey's another guy that had was that the one who played who was it played Norman because wasn't he one of the stunt doubles? Maybe don't remember the name of the actor. Sorry, uh, you know who I'm maybe, talking about. Yes, that. I do. Yeah. And I'm up. Yes, yes. Uh, he I knew he would. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, sorry, I usually can remember. I usually can recall those actors, but that one uh, That's I'm okay. not gonna. I'm gonna uh, pull. Yes, uh, listeners. Um, when we were planning these episodes, I was talking about digging into Memory Alpha, which is actually a website. It actually. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's actually a series of them, I believe, all owned by fandom. I'm sure. And a series of different fandom things. But Memory Alpha is the Star Trek encyclopedia. And when I talked about rooting through the Memory Alpha to look at things, Francis' response, I am Memory Alpha. Yes. <laughs> and there was no argument. And they, 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 they did not argue against <laughs> me. That is exactly but you know, that's right. another thing about uh, Kirk as the cultural icon that we've talked about. Yeah. Star Trek was saved by the fans. That's how yes. you got the animated series. Yes. That's how you eventually got uh, Star Trek II, which is going to be the second TV series that became the motion picture. Mm-hmm. But also, Star Trek is the first, that I'm aware of, first thing that spawned any real fan fiction. Yeah. Fan fiction back in the day, you know, back in the 70s, this was big. Back in the 70s and 80s, it also got a little freaky. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah there you was got a, a little. There was a yeah. lot of sexual deviancy. Let's just say, yeah. in much of that stuff that was even by out. today's standards, I think there was some some deviancy in there. Yeah, but well, it was the only one that had ever anybody ever bothered with, really. Right. It, it, it had enough cultural touch moments that it would. No pun intended. Oh, you're right. No pun intended. Uh, that uh, it, it, people would do that, and I, we've seen them at the convention. I even bought some once. Oh yeah, time. They some were, of them were good. Some, of them some were, were very really bad. Yeah, some of them were very, very good. I know. Uh, I bought some, and I and I can't give you <coughs> the author's name, but she went on to write many of the novels. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, that uh, uh, later on, and she, which you know, she understood the characters very, very well. So it was really kind of fun to to see. A lot of them were women, but not all. Uh, it was really. It was an. It became its own thing, and part of it was the drought after Star Trek was over, and there's nothing like it ever, and nobody's providing anything like it. There, there were well, some attempts. There's. It's hard to say there's nothing like it because there is sci-fi does make a comeback, but Star Wars is a different animal than Star Trek. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's it's not. So it's yeah, it's and it's plus it's it's movies, so you don't get get it regularly. It's right. once every three years. Well, and then there's a. Uh, 15 year hiatus. Yeah, right. Well, but, Space 1999 was an attempt. Yes, and that was good. And I, it liked was, it. I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, it, 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 had, it had its own sense of issues and problems, but it was an attempt to try to fill that role. But it went through syndication, which at the time was really in its infancy. I mean, it was only just beginning to be something. It was a little early yeah. for that. You might remember, uh, and, and it was produced in Canada. Uh, they also produced one called The Star Lost. Yes, yes. Uh, which was I've seen all the episodes. Absolute, I watched that when it was on. I, as I a did kid. as well, and it uh, it well Harlan Ellison's the one that did the concept. I mean, he didn't. Uh, it, it it was executed so poorly he took his name off the uh, credits of it, and he and he had it uh, had one of his pseudonyms put in place. Cordwinder uh, Bird. I yes, think it one was. of the main characters was uh, uh, Dave Bowman. Kier uh, Kier uh, Duela Duela, Duela okay. yeah Duela, from uh, two thousand one. Uh, it was very low budget, unfortunately, but the concept was really solid. It was very much a Trek like thing because it was like a, a villain of the week sort of thing, right? And it was I loved it. I mean, and I, I couldn't eat it up because the stories and the concepts were about exploring the unknown, and nobody was doing much of that. Well, yeah, because you got to remember, this is a time in television when and movies when it's all realism. Yeah. It's all gritty realism. Oh, yeah. This is all in the family and Maude and Mary Tyler Moore. 
cop uh, shows, cop shows, Kojak, yeah. Mannix, and some things uh, like that. Uh, granted, some of those I really loved. I loved me some Mannix. Oh yeah, Mannix would fantastic. Ironside, Ironside, Streets yeah. of San Francisco. Yeah, uh, Starsky and Hutch a little bit later. Yeah, uh, which is not quite as serious as some of the others, but right. Yeah. You know, so yeah, Star Trek. There was a void for that kind of thing. We weren't quite at the point where we had anti-heroes in in our television and movies yet. No. Yeah. But I see the seeds in what the anti-heroes that came later. Uh, that, you know, granted, mm-hmm. most of that started in the comics. That a lot of it ends up on television and movies now. Came from there. Yeah. But you see a lot of, because it's it's down in the, the the dirt, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, down tr- in the street level. level. Yeah, street level. That's the word. Yeah, that's one that's been um, talked about. And there wasn't a whole lot of the fantastical. Yeah. And that's that's a huge hole. So that's why the fan fiction. Was well, yeah, huge. because things like other science fiction shows prior to, like Lost in Space or Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, had a lot of that monster of the week, fantastical weirdness to it. Sort it's of Trek, yeah, it, it did, but much less so. They really tried to do it seriously with Trek, whereas those other two shows, the Irwin Allen shows, they just kind of did it. Yeah. yeah well. Lost in Space started out serious. Yeah, the first season was really very good. First, yeah, black and white stuff was really, really good. Uh, now there's some some real boners in there. No, no sexual in, innuendos meant uh, meant on that. But you know, the second and third season. So second season is the the height of the camp. Third season was an attempt to get back to the seriousness. Uh, the vegetable revolution aside, I was going to say you got to talk about that. Well, Batman was big at the time. Camp was at yes, a camp high, was high level yeah. at that time. So that kind of but Star Trek didn't ever succumb to that. Yeah, it could have Spock's brain aside. Uh, uh, actually, it was not a bad episode at certain parts. Um, I don't think there are enough good parts to outweigh. The I bad know, parts. I know. It's kind of reviled as the. Well, uh, it's just the, it's so ludicrous. But exactly, that's the thing. If they'd have done it so much better, I mean. But anyway, we're not gonna not gonna go off on a. Yeah, tangent. this one's about Kirk. This is about Kirk. That's right. Uh, uh, one thing I love that I thought, and we talked a little bit about this in the Shatner episode, is that they did an animated series of Star Trek in the early seventies, yeah. which I ate that bad boy up on Saturday morning. It yep. was just. It was written the same by the same people. Roddenberry was very tight on the controls on that. Yeah. Uh, because this is right when the the syndication and was going on, and it became Trek was a thing now. So he was able to parlay that into an animated episode, twenty two, animated series of twenty two episodes that were phenomenal. Which is basically just one season. Yeah. Well, it was split into two seasons. Oh, was it? it was. Okay. Yeah. But the last season was like six episodes. Oh. Okay. Because the way Saturday Morning did in those days, basically, you only got if you got two years, you were lucky. Most time it was just one. Yeah. But they would. But they would do. Well, it's hard to dethrone the Bugs Bunny show back then. Well, yeah, they would because animation was expensive. They would do these things and they would run the heck out of them. Yeah. You know, they would rerun them constantly. Uh, so they basically took those twenty-two episodes. And re-ran each episode like six times. Yeah, some of those scripts were actually scripts that were going to be used, mm-hmm. but never were. Right. DC Fontana wrote the episode yesteryear about Spock's childhood with a time travel story. Still one of the best tricks ever done. Ever done. In 22 minutes, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the Robert April episode was Robert, phenomenal. Yeah, Counterclock Incident was wonderful. The one I liked was their very first one, uh, Beyond the Far of the Star, which tells you... And this is what I would have loved to have been able to see done in live action. They find a starship that's an enormous size, plant-based, that's been around a dead star for 320 million years with a, with a symbiotic life form, alien evil life form on board. And you're just looking at the animation they do, I'm thinking, this is fantastic because you can't show things like this on a television budget. Yes. But with an animation... You can really let the exploration and the and the sheer awe and mystery mm-hmm. out yeah. there come through. And that's exactly why comics have been such fertile ground for right. movies, because it's only been in the last fifteen to twenty years to where you can really do those comic book stories and do them well. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in uh, the last half dozen issues, almost ha- uh, the very last of the. Uh, uh, leading up to issue 100 of the Avengers, was the Kree Scroll War, mm-hmm. and that was a massive storyline at the time. Mm-hmm. It was like six, seven, eight issues. I forget exactly how many. Uh, mostly done by the great Neil Adams, mm-hmm. and he is a phenomenal storyteller as well as, well as visual artist. And 
uh, somebody made a comment. It might even have been John Byrne, but I'm not sure if that was him. Uh, talking about how uh, Star uh, uh, the Kree Scroll War was you could only do in comics because of the scope and the breadth of it. Yeah, it's like it would be even even in you know when you got to to Star Wars level of technology would have been difficult. It was that big and complex. Mm-hmm. Now you could do it because as we've seen with the Marvel movies, you can do that big complex stuff now. Mm-hmm. It's right. Uh, matter of fact, I'm kind of surprised they didn't do. Well, they they've sort of done some Cree and Scroll stuff, but you know, they may be leading up to. There's been some rumors around that. It was that's just, but that's one great example among hundreds, because there's no limits on comics. It's just your imagination, yeah. and that's why it's proven such fertile ground. The animation that Star Trek provided, I think, gave a little bit of impetus to the novels that came yeah. shortly after that. Yes, really, I thought the no- I thought the earliest novels very came few, before that. Very few. There was like three or four. There was the adaptations that James Blish did right. of the episodes, which were in the early seventies, and he wrote one novel, the very first one, Spock Must Die. Yes, and it was like seventy four, which is right around that same. Yes, because it was like seventy three, seventy four for that yeah, cartoon. Exactly, and. Up until, and it was only with the motion picture that Pocket Books acquired the rights. And from that point, you had Trek novels forever. Now, speaking of Trek novels, I want to call out, I think, some novelists who got Kirk right. Yes. Diane Carey. Diane Carey's an excellent one. Yes. She got Kirk right. We met now, her, yes. She, she was one who famously said at one of the conventions, you know, complaining about, I don't know why, you know, he, she was complaining, you know, I don't know why Roddenberry is so dead set against uh, Starfleet being the military. It's like they're not shooting spam out of those photon torpedo banks. Yeah, you know, and, but she got Kirk, I think, extremely well, better than I think many of the. Now, granted, I've not read all of those books, but she just struck me as one of the better, mm-hmm. and, and that was a long time ago. Oh yeah, I mean, she. There were, I mean, if we wanted, we could probably do a whole dang on episode on some of these folks. Yeah. Diane Carey did some great stuff. Vonda and McIntyre did some great. Yes, stuff. Yes, Vonda McIntyre was great. Yeah, she got Spock really well. She did. She kind of. Certain authors would kind of get certain characters really well. Uh, uh, Sondra Marshak and Myrna Colbreth wrote some of the Bantam books, which which there was only a handful of those. Bantam got the rights to them in the mid-70s, and they put out a few that were put out, and they got Kirk very, very well. They actually had him get cloned at one point, mm-hmm. uh, and you've got these, and you end up having two Kirks. Uh, Who was the author two. that did the Romulan uh, books? Uh it was um, it was well, a woman. It, well, I want to say Diane Carey did some of that because no, no, no. in uh, well, Final Frontier she did some. Well, she did some of it, but yeah, but this is centered extremely on the Romulans. Uh, uh, yeah, you're talking about my enemy, my ally. I think that's Diane. Yes. That's Diane Carey. No, I don't think no, that's no, Diane no, Carey. Diane Duane. Diane Duane. Diane Duane is who that was. Sorry, yeah. I knew it was. I knew it was right. She did several that were Romulan. You know, different Again. authors would just folk. I know you're <laughs> over. Yeah. Uh, for those of us that you know, I, I'm letting the guys uh, go total nerd here. Yeah, I mean, just say there was a lot of great fiction written, and because Kirk is such a fertile character, right. and almost every Not one just of him, these, of course, but is Kirk centric. Very much. Very so. little until the next generation comes along. He is the he's the only captain. Right. Yeah. I mean, Spock has his moments. Don't get me wrong. There's yeah. some of those books were written there. A few of them are actually almost only Spock. Uh, but the uh, best is Kirk and Spock together. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Along and, with McCoy. Uh, I'll give you a little trivia though. Of all the original Star Trek stuff uh, with the original crew, one episode didn't have Kirk at all. You know the answer. Well, the original uh, pilot didn't have. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about since that point forward. Animated episode. This, oh, animated. I'm, this, I'm this, thinking live action. I understand. Like, I don't uh, want to... Uh, the Slaver Weapon. Yes. Uh, it was a. It was, it was. was Spock, Sulu, and Uhura. Uh, and they stole some... Well, they, they, he wrote it. Larry Niven wrote about this alien race called the Kazinti, these cat people, which he'd written oodles and oodles of books about, and he kind of brought them into the Star Trek universe in that episode. Fantastic episode. One of the very, very best they did. In fact, it even got... Uh, in Star Trek Picard, they even mentioned it, the, the race, finally, just yeah. recently, in the live-action stuff. You know, again, this is not a knock on Patrick Stewart, but I just don't like Picard as much as I like Kirk. Partially, that's, I'm sure, that I grew up with yeah. Kirk. Uh, Picard <coughs> is a much more cerebral, uh, you know, let's negotiate our way out of this. Yeah. And that's a stereotype. 
Sure, and was, that was deliberate. I know that they wanted to make sure this yeah. is not a Kirk clone, and that was Roddenberry for certain that yeah. he wanted to make sure. Well, and, and that's something that they regularly would skewer somewhat too. Well, they tried to make Riker the Kirk clone. Yeah, right. And Jonathan Frakes, I'll give him credit. That first season, he'll even say so. His portrayal was just not the best uh, because he was still finding his footing. But by the time he grew the beard in that second season, the beard helped. It, it, it let him be Riker. And from that point forward, you know, the character was awesome. Yes, I always liked Riker better than, than Picard. I really did. Really? I, I'm, not always. Depends on the day, I suppose. But they well, ne- neither one of them. He had his moments. I would have liked to have seen Riker get some of the, the, the good, epi- good quality type of episodes that Stewart got. Now that's true. Patrick Stewart really came across with some fantastic stories of it, his. It would have been a really good episode to do after Best of Both Worlds to have a mirror of family. Yes. That's that Riker. featured Riker. I would have loved because to Because he's got to have the same kind of issue. I mean, not to the same degree that the Picard character has. Picard's, you know, responsible for wiping out 50 starships of people. Mm-hmm. But Riker's also... He's got to be scarred by the experience, you too. You get a little of that in the episode with the Thomas Riker, the double of him mm-hmm. that was created years ago. You get a little of that mirror image against each other, uh, that self-reflection of yeah. how messed up did I turn out to be because my life went in a, his life went in a different direction than mine. Brilliantly done. You know, yeah. Usually when you've got... Those are usually uh, actor services where you get to play two roles at the same time. This was not. This was a very, very good episode yeah. that they did. So you get, I would you like to. I would like to have seen a, a, a really introspective Riker episode. That's that's as that close point. as it gets. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, you, you sort of get that with um, the end of the second season. Uh, what's the name of it? Uh, Future Imperfect. Uh, that's the fourth season. Fourth season. Yeah, Future Imperfect is the one where he thinks he's in a simulation, or he thinks he's in the future. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking. Yeah, why the, am I thinking that's the second season? Uh, I don't. know. Well, he he gets uh, the the stinker episode of the entire series is the season finale of the second season where they go into his brain and he gets this, uh, and they use it as a bottle, a clip show from the old episodes, Shades yeah, of Grey. Yeah. That's kind of introspective. Maybe that's yeah. what you're thinking here. Maybe. Uh, but yeah, he he's in the future, eighteen years in the future, and uh, Tomahawk's in it. Uh, Andreas Katsoulis, uh, yes. who, who we love. Uh, Minuet uh, makes Minuet, a, an appearance. Uh, makes an appearance in that. We love Minuet, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and there's a lot of those. Uh, Future Imperfect is... Yeah. It, it, it's, but again... It's a good... If you're looking for one of those introspective Riker issues, they're uh, episodes. They're there. Okay. They're there. So, uh, again, though, kind of pull us back to... Because to, this is about Kirk, It's about Riker. Kirk. It's supposed to be But Riker. Riker is a lot like Kirk. He's meant to be an analog and for certain characteristics yeah. of him. Well, I mean, he, yeah, he's he's cuz he's a young good-looking guy. He's he's a bit of a womanizer himself, but yeah. he's also um, a great leader. Mm-hmm. You know, he's good at what he does. He's he gets action. to do all the away missions. Yeah, he's the action guy. Yeah, he's the action guy. Uh, him and Worf later. Um, yeah, they they Although Worf keeps getting, you know, when he kept getting beat up by grannies, that was kind of dis- disconcerting. Was, yeah. Uh, second but, season had his share of problems. That yes, was it one did. Of them, yes. Um, but you know, Again, it goes back to Kirk is that gold standard that you compare them against. Yeah. He yeah. really is. Yeah. Uh, and if they come out pale, then yeah, you don't want to do. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I mean, for God's sakes, James C. Kirk takes on a Gorn by himself on the desert planet by the Metrons and blows him down with a handmade cannon that he figures out just because. That's about as badass as it gets, folks. <laughs> and then he takes and turns around and says, no, I will not kill you. Uh, maybe you were just protecting yourself when you attacked the base on Cestus Three. No, I won't kill him. And, of course, the Metrons come down and say, hey, your species might have some promise here. We didn't expect that out of you. And it's uh, and Kirk says, well, maybe in a couple thousand years, maybe we'll be able to prove it to you. Yeah. It, now, it's interesting because there are occasions when you do have the, the opposite of that written. So Star Trek Six is a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he hates the Klingons at this point because they killed his boy. Right. As he likes to say in that. Um, which they did. But in a way, it seems so anti-Kirk, you know, because it's... Although, Errand of Mercy, you know, he was fighting for the right to, to kill Klingons there, too. So right, he's never yeah. really been a fan. Yes. But 
you know, it, th- those kind of things stand out because they are not the norm. And he recognizes that because he you know, there are times that he says at the very end of Star Trek, because I love it, he says some people sometimes people are afraid, frightened to change. Yes, afraid of the, afraid, afraid of the future. Of, afraid of the future. And uh, and Azet Boer, the Klingon Chancellor, she says, "You've restored my father's faith," and he says, "You've restored my sons." It's yeah, a very touchy feely, wishy washy. Yeah, a little bit of that, but that's that's the arc because the Kirk we know is not a hater. Right. But sometimes things that happen to us change us in ways we don't want to be changed. And that was kind of... Right. And this was him confronting that. Exactly. Which I thought was yeah. not inconsistent with the character at all. I mean, it's, yeah, it's been many stuff. years since, you know, the brash I liked the six. I mean, there were there was some... The the shapeshifter and the looking exactly alike. It kind of, you know... Yeah, I'm on... Uh, yeah, you got you got to kiss yourself, or <laughs> must have been your greatest ambition. Or something like <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that was, was Shatner. That was yeah. Shatner right there. It was, you know, so, that was. I mean, fun. that was a little too campy, but it was okay. Well, well yeah. you know, but that's part of Star Trek, though. Is it's it managed to squeeze in the ability to make you laugh. It's like the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they if you take out the comedic bits in those movies, I don't think they work as well as they do. Oh, absolutely. Oh, one of my favorite lines of Star Trek Six is after Iman kisses Kirk and McCoy's in the bunk upstairs above, above him when she leaves she goes what is it with you yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah even it's, in prison yeah, you're still getting babes throw themselves at you what's going on here so we're at 45 so we haven't done bourbon break yet oh my goodness how could we have we gotta do bourbon break yes we do need to do uh, listeners uh, we have officially given this spot in each episode now a name uh, when we stop to talk about bourbon it's gonna be called bourbon break because much like Stan Lee we love our alliteration. Yes. Indeed. So uh, I am still working on Bullet, uh, trying to polish off a bottle of Bullet here um, for, for, I guess, the third or fourth episode uh, this month. Uh, Francis, what about you, man? What did you pour? Well, because we're still in the midst of our Shatner Palooza here, I stuck with the quarter horse uh, because Shatner loves horses and stuff like that. And because you had some. And the bottle is square and it looks bloody cool. It does. I, just, it does. I really like that bottle. You know, that sounds. I know that you know on an audio podcast, it's kind of weird talking about the visual, but it works. Right. Yeah. So I, I have uh, decided to help Martin uh, polish off his bottle of, of bullets and get move on to something new and fresh. Yes, I need to buy something else. Uh, so, but the bullet, it's interesting because uh, it is different than the quarter horse. Uh, we've talked about in past episodes how we've learned so much about how bourbons are, about how they, the differences in taste. Uh, the effect they have on your your palate, your your taste buds, where the burn is, and this one hits you in the in the nose uh, immediately. Uh, it's it's very much the the sinus then, area as yeah, opposed to tongue, the, yeah. the the tongue and the esophagus, uh, which was a nice contrast to the the quarter horse that I had had earlier. And uh, you know, always like partaking of the the bourbon at uh, Studio M here in the uh, Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah, thirtieth floor. floor. Yes, just down the hall from Ellis. Yes. Uh, and that Takagi is a great guy, but he likes Korean food, so don't walk around behind him uh, after lunch. <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't recall I have heard that one before, but that's okay. Well, sometimes yeah. you just got to make shit up. Well, that's, uh, uh, well, absolutely. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, folks. Come on. I mean, that's yes, basic, as a storyteller, yes, that is that basic is quite storytelling true. 101. Don't do that. Yes. Yeah. Um, Back to Kirk as we, so, as we wrap this up. Yeah, so uh, since we're nearing the end here, even though we just did our bourbon break, um, I, I would suggest that we, you know, maybe go around the table and, and and you know just do a little bit on what we think makes Kirk worthy of being the cultural icon, not necessarily being a leader or a hero, but worthy of being the icon. I think that would be. Do you guys think that'd be a good way to? I think close be, I think it's a fantastic way to be able to do that. You want to go first? No, no. Oh, you want me no, to no, go no, first? No, he's got to go last. Well, that's true. Okay. You go first. Let right. me go first, and then so I'll go, go second. Yeah. Yes. All right. Oh, thank you. I, yes. I get. Do I get the hammer? Can I have the hammer? Yes. yes. We can have you, that. You I can borrow the hammer. I can borrow the hammer. Yes, you can borrow and it seems that I am worthy. And you are worthy. Okay. Wonderful. All right. It's important to remember that Francis has the con as well here. That's correct. I do. That's right. So, but I think the piece of Kirk this portrayal, this character that makes it him a hero and a pop culture icon is the the in the end he is a terrific leader mm-hmm. he's concerned for his people 
and understands that what makes them whole is accomplishing the goals they need to sit out to. Again, that like I said, that, that to me, the pivot for Kirk is, my God, Bones, what have I done? Same thing you always do, Jim. You've given us a chance. I don't know if he cares as much for the, the, the guys wearing the red shirts, but you know, <laughs> the guys wearing the gold and the blue, he's solid he's with them. He's solid with them. <laughs> but it's, it's that, you know, we have a goal, and we're going to get there, but I, I've got to make sure my people are whole when, they, when we get there. We, we've got to bring everybody along. Everybody has value. Um, you know, as you contrast it to uh, another favorite of ours, Master and Commander. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, great film, Russell Crowe. And at one point he's, you know, I, we, we're at war and I will grind whatever grist the mill requires. And then the counterpoint is when his friend, uh, uh, Stephen Maturin, Maturin, played by Paul Bettany, uh, you know, is hurt. Nope, we're going to stop. I'm not willing to sacrifice. I'm not going to grind. Yeah, there's only so far he's willing to go. Yeah, you know, which this, in a way is this, a very cold thing. Uh, yeah. And you know, Kirk has some of the similar, right? You know, because like I said, wearing a red shirt on his ship is a very dangerous. thing. <laughs> it's a dangerous thing, uh, but it's it's part that, of that's the writing. I get that. But, yeah, it's uh, that comeback around of maybe I was wrong. Yeah, you know, sometimes. A goal isn't worth the sacrifice that you have to make, or you've got to fight a different way, and that's real leadership, right, right? And and that's I think that's the cool part of Kirk. What what made him that larger than life hero, um, as the characters portrayed throughout all the films and and everything, is he was the leader that everybody when you when you felt like he was in charge, you had a chance, right. Uh, Oh, oh, that's yes. even in I think in the in one of the is that in the first film where it says uh, where he replaces oh, Decker yes. and so our chance is coming back from that mission just maybe just doubled yeah, yeah that just was doubled. Uhura said that yeah. yes yeah so it, you know when Kirk was in charge you felt like it was all going to work out right the interesting thing about Kirk uh, is you know right, his leader he is not. As we've seen, because it's the way he's been written, he, he's meant to be on the bridge of the starship. He is not the guy making all the plans. He's not the admiral directing the fleets. Uh, he's much more hands-on. Yeah. Especially with the ladies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, but, you know, he's... So, yeah, that, that leadership... But it's it's not the kind of leadership that you sometimes think of. It's It's a little bit more lower level than the... You know the, the the grand vision kind of leadership that, that we often think about, but that's sometimes just as important or more important. Yeah, because those are the guys that get things done. Those are the guys that take the hill. Yes, it's it's yeah, it's that that captain or that lieutenant that takes care of business yeah. and takes care of his. It's people. Tom Hanks in uh, the 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 Saving Private Saving Private Ryan. Private Ryan. Private Ryan. Yeah. yeah, it's that yeah. kind of character. Yeah. We're going to stop here. Everybody's going to take their boots off. We're going to change socks, and then we're going to keep marching. Everybody take care of yourself. That's get right. some water, and then we're, we're moving on. Because that's the yeah. only way we can come out of this alive. Yeah. So, yeah, it's even though I'm sure that the writers were not great students of leadership, they managed to put together some really good stuff there. Yeah. Amazing. So I think... Uh, the cultural icon part for me, what makes him so great as one, uh, is so much of his character is uniquely American. Even though it's supposed to be written in a multinational, multi-species environment, <clears throat> he is still u- <clears throat> pardon. <clears throat> he is still uniquely American in many ways, um, and you know that's partially because Star Trek is a product of American culture. Yes. And that's one of the things I love about him, though, is that, uh, yeah, he's a little brash. He's a little pushy, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, that's, that, that can be us, too. Uh, but he does seek to do the right thing. He's not always great at it. You know, the, 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 the fight with the, or what is the episode of the, where the Iranians are? Uh, Aaron of Mercy. Aaron of Mercy, thank you. See, I don't have to, see, this is like uh, Einstein. 
I don't have to remember these things because I can just ask Francis. He knows it all. He is memory alpha. Is Thank memory you. I appreciate that. That's that's uh, very complimentary. Yeah. So, but you know, Kirk is he embodies so much that we believe to be good and true. Uh, you know, he and that I think is what makes him so attractive as that cultural icon. Now he's become such an icon that what is good and true is in him has almost become. Um, negative in the sense because it's it's been parodied so much, and what we saw as good and true in him are, are not exactly in vogue today, anyways. Yes, yeah, uh, and I don't mean the womanizing it. part. Uh, you know that part's never really in vogue. Uh, but still, though, those ideals and principles. He was a principled man. Kirk is a principled leader, and that's what makes him uh, speak to so many different kinds of people. You know, a lot of people talk, well, you know, Trek is very egalitarian. You know, there's everybody has a place. Uh, yeah, all that's true. But part of that's just, be, part of that's the writing, sometimes a little gratuitous. But I think what speaks to us really more are the individual characters. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and with Kirk, it's, he just embodies so much that is, is good and right. You know, he's not a Christ figure, uh, although he's willing to sacrifice himself. Yeah. Um, he's a little bit too um, gauche, maybe, to be a Christ figure. I don't know, but you know. He, yeah. he, but he's 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 that guy that you want to follow, mm-hmm. right? Because right. you know he's going to learn and grow along the way too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know that's great because we've seen that. Errand of Mercy is a great example of that, mm-hmm. where uh, you know the Organians are trying to prevent the the Klingons and the and the Federation from having a war. And eventually, they're they're, you know, uh, Kor and, and Kirk are basically saying, "We don't need you, yeah, you know, to, to keep us from doing this. If we want to fight, we will. We don't need, uh, you know, or, or like in um, uh, with Kang mm-hmm. uh, when the uh, the, the being day of the dove, day of the dove, when they tell the the being that's trying to get them to fight, we don't need your help to hate the humans. That's right, you know, and, and which when you and when Kirk and Kor, uh, Kang are both arguing, that you know, you can see Kirk realizes, well, that's a stupid argument. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. It, it works. It was uh, it was an amazing uh, both of those episodes. Both yeah, both, episodes both very good, very episodes. very good episodes. Um, just you, you just you just knew that if that Kirk was the kind of guy that was going to be in your corner, and you know, I think that speaks a lot to the type of character that he is. What makes him heroic and that that icon. Plus, who didn't want to be him? Yeah. 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 All right, man. Take us home. Take us home. Uh, the reason Kirk, Kirk is a cultural icon, for me, kind of comes back to that. We've quoted this one a lot lately. There's an audacity to him that you should find off-putting, but you don't. There's a confidence in him that you should find off-putting, but you don't. Risk is our business. That's what this starship is about. That's why we're aboard her. He is going to bring out the best in people around him and make them go further than they ever thought possible, dare I say, where no man has gone before, because he's got a man of vision, one man with a vision. How do <laughs> how you like this? I'm wrapping all these quotes up all here together. But that's exactly what's so great about him is he recognizes the vision, the truth, and the goodness inherent of it, and is willing to pass that on to others and bring them along with him. That's why he's a hero. That's why he's a cultural icon. Because people, like you said, people want to follow him. They want to be him. They want to be like him. They want to be on his team. And apparently they want to sleep with him when you look at the fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> There's some of that, I suppose. That's that's. Uh, but, you know, hey, it would have never been written if it didn't have some, you know, ability to take, you know. Right. Make, they captured make, lightning in a bottle with the show and the character. They did. I mean, it really put, yeah, it put hooks in people lots of ways. That's right. And and it was a lot of things that went into that. It was Shatner's portrayal, certainly. It was the way it was written, certainly. It was the concept itself, certainly. But all those things together, you know, made that perfect stew. Mm. And that perfect character that still, 60 years later, still manages to intrigue us. Still manages to, to inspire us and still manages to makes us want to be just like him. All right. Well, Captain Francis, I think that uh, we'll have to say that wraps up Shatner Palooza for March 2021. Yes. We had uh, a heck of a time, didn't we? Yeah, celebrating Shatner's birthday, uh, talking about Kirk and and Shatner. So, brother, 
What's next? Well, you know, we're going to go back to history next time around here. Uh, we're going to continue with our World War II story. We did, we've done the war in the Atlantic. We've done the war in the Pacific. Now we're going to go a little bit more into Europe itself. Uh, the war in the East is essentially yes. where we're going to go. The biggie, the big, the big dog daddy. You know, the Eastern Front, as they used to say in Hogan's Heroes. You know, <laughs> be, be good, or we'll send you to the Eastern Front. Well, there's a reason for that. Uh, we're going to talk. There's no way we can put it all into one episode. Really, realistically, realistically we're going to try. But we're going to concentrate mostly on that linchpin city, Stalingrad, and it's, the battle. It's Waterloo. It, it is. It, that's where so much changed. And that's what we're going to compare it to Waterloo and discover just exactly what happened and why it's important. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.